0: This is a podcast from 3 Triple R 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. <laughs> Good afternoon welcome aboard the starship zero g science fiction fantasy and historical radio for episode number what are we up to now one two two one a little bit of a a glitch there as the uh, cycle repeated itself <laughs> thank you to the stand-ins for the room with view there and once again giving us all the low down on everything that is football. I have no understanding of it, but I feel like I have a little bit better knowledge about it and certainly understand the passion with which they tackle. Is it the right word? Do they tackle in that? No, I don't know. Uh, tackle their subject matter, which is always a characteristic of all of the shows on Well How are you all going out there? We're all back after many the holidays and all those sorts of seasonal festive things that people get up to i don't do a whole lot of that myself of course i just go off to the movies and binge watch netflix and stan and all that sort of geek stuff and you notice that people are wandering around with a bit of the binge sort of eye stare at the moment Oh yeah, i just watched 14 episodes of something that's dropped oh my god <laughs> Today's episode is entitled Kid Arthur. Our podcast title is The Pod in the Stone. I am Rob Jan and I am Jan Solo today. Our co-host Megan McHugh is taking a well-deserved shore leave or landing party or whatever the hell it is we call it on Zero G when we're not here. Now, as you can tell by the title, we are going to be looking at couple of things today that are Arthurian. Actually, just one, The Kid Who Would Be King. A quite little charming little movie that I saw on the weekend. And I was quite delighted by it. It's um, one of those films that snuck up on me. I had no idea about it before I saw it. So we'll get into that presently. But to begin at the beginning just let you know that um, Michel Legrand has passed away the French composer of so many, 200 or so television and movie soundtracks over the years uh, I think it was 84 I could make the calculation but I will sail on because it's all about music rather than uh, anything else so I'll get along to that eventually, but first I wanted to start off with a bit of Star Trek discovery. As you may have heard, Star Trek fans are living in fascinating times at the moment. (laughs) Raises an eyebrow, scratches his pointed ears. The next Star Trek movie, number four in the J.J. Abrams reboot series, or the Kelvin alternate timeline, as they call it. Uh, That was one that was starring Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and Carl Urban. It's been um, cancelled or shelved or what have you. Paramount uh, reported that on the 9th of January. And perhaps this will end the uh, Kelvin alternate timeline of the Star Trek universe that they've been travelling in in those reboot movies. There is, of course, a new series about Jean-Luc Picard's life after Star Trek The Next Generation that's being worked on at the moment, and a series spun off from Star Trek Discovery about the Mirrorverse emperor giorgio's adventures working for the federation's covert operations bureau section 31 michelle Yeoh is reprising her role in that and a very popular character she has proven to be Ah, more dark star trek and we have, of course, been watching the short treks. We talked about those on last week's Zero-G uh, with some animated ones coming up, I think, at the uh, end of the year. Uh, they are basically little get-to-know-you stories but fill you in on some of the background of some of the main characters from Star Trek Discovery. Uh, they did one about um, uh, the, uh, the ship's computer, which I thought was a really good idea. ...and Mr Sauru as well. Um, Actually, I enjoyed all four of those episodes. They're very finely done. And it just goes to show uh, what Star Trek could do as an anthology series... ...especially if you've already established the main characters... ...and these are basically just almost like featurettes in a way... ...but uh, solid science fiction in their own right. Now, the second season of Star Trek Discovery has dropped on Netflix popped out of um spore space (laughs) the uh, controversial mushroom based starship drive that they're using on the uss discovery uh not only has it dropped on netflix only there's 14 episodes that are reeling out one per week Um, but the first seasons also come out on the traditional medium of blu-ray and dvd now, this is all set um, about a decade before Star Trek, classic Trek, and this is the, uh, the way it runs, essentially. I know the ships and the costumes and the procedure, a lot of things in it, they seem more advanced than the 1960s Captain Kirk era. Yeah, get over it, <laughs> basically. It's not canon. Well, you know what? I, I just put in my head canon the, uh, the idea that it's just a different fashion. Um, You know, like um, Art Deco following Art Nouveau. So, this is the Art Nouveau series with the uh, more elaborate um, bits and pieces, bits and bobs, and then the uh, Art Deco one follows after with all the streamlining and the floppy disks made out of plywood and so on. (laughs) Going back to um, to many of the analog buttons, and, you know, I'm all right with that. I can live with that. There's thousands of writers working on these things over 50 years. Yeah, you know, the wonder is it's not more inconsistent and, you know, we've got a different view of the future. How about this for an idea? It could be the fact that these stories are told by different writers each time and they've got their own different perspective on it. Just imagine you're listening to some sort of great oral tale from the past, something classic and Homeric or... Thereabouts, And that's actually not a bad analogy for Star Trek, which has achieved that kind of semi-mythical legendary status of some of the old tales, King Arthur, Robin Hood, Sherlock Holmes, not so old there, but Tarzan, James Bond, Doctor Who. Once you start prolonging them over the years over half a century or more then you do end up recasting and revisiting things and things naturally do get reinterpreted by the artists and the production staff working on them i'm cool with that i just enjoy the stories <laughs> you know what i often wonder if um uh, people who get too tied up about that weren't weren't around in the days of uh, fan fiction and fanzines where we'd take any slight twitch in the plot or in the continuity as a challenge we go yeah that'd make a good fan story instead of as an affront to the existence of their fandom oh well (laughs) here end of the lesson but on to star trek 2 season 2 so that's discovery these 14 episodes i've watched two of them so far uh brother which was um uh directed by alex kurtzman the showrunner And that was the one where Anson Mount, the actor playing Captain Christopher Pike of the USS Enterprise, entered the scene, along with that iconic starship, met the discovery in deep space, and Mount Pike transferred over to the Enterprise and became her temporary captain looking into the mystery of the seven mysterious ragged energy signals that have appeared throughout the galaxy that have also intrigued a very young Mr Spock, who we have discovered is the foster brother of Discovery's main point of view protagonist, Michael Burnham. Yes, not been mentioned before, that's all right. Spock never mentioned his, his um, half-brother, uh, what was his name, Cyborg, in Star Trek 5. It was actually a very fine story this one where uh, the the uh, Discovery had to rescue um, the survivors of a starship that was trapped in a mysterious unknown force. No, I won't say that. <laughs> in an in an anomaly. I was having trouble saying that. Uh, and it turned out to be Tig Notaro, the stand-up comedian playing a fairly jaded but entirely awesome engineer of a starship her character name was jet reno (laughs) that is so cool Oh dear. This uh, season has, of course, most of the uh, returning cast, surviving cast from uh, the first season. And uh, Christopher Pike is played by Anson Mount, who was Black Bolt in Marvel's Inhumans television series in 2017. Uh, didn't last that show, but um, he was nevertheless given some of the best lines in The Inhumans. <laughs> Oh Yes, well, uh, okay, we've also got um, Ethan Peck playing Spock. Now, he's actually, and I'm, you know, let's get this out of the way. He's the grandson of actor Gregory Peck and his first wife, Greta Kukkonen. Mm -hmm. But we have seen him before playing a, a young version of one of the characters in that 70s show. But he's pretty good looking as Spock. He's got that, uh, that certain something about the face that uh, says, this is one of the Spocks. <laughs> Rebecca Romjan is also starring in this, or sorry, I should say, uh, Romaine. And um, we know, of course, as uh, Mystique, in the X-Men film series, and also as a character called Joan from The Punisher, and also um, she was uh, in that um, fantasy series, The Librarians. Well whole new bunch of people on board plus all of the original cast and i thought the first episode was just great it was just so much exciting drama in there and uh, exploring space and the characters as well at the same time which is what star trek usually does quite well jonathan frakes directed the second episode new eden and that was just such a classic star trek story with uh, the Elements of the original series in there, like they were dealing with the Prime Directive about non interference with civilizations that don't have warp drive access to space. And also, there was a a fairly interesting examination of faith and religion and science. Not quite verses, though. They didn't go there. This was not. Oh, there have been so so many episodes of Star Trek where they have run into that sort of thing, but this was not one of them. And I thought it was a, a very fine story indeed that reminded me of some of the things that they've been doing, ironically, on the Orville as well, only not played for quite so many laughs. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying this Star Trek Discovery variation. I loved the first season, of course, being a fan of the Klingons. It was interesting to see a whole other side of them. And now we are in a different kind of space this time as they have this meta arc of examining these seven strange uh, red anomalies energy energy bursts that have appeared throughout the galaxy uh, and also the mysterious red angel that dances attendance upon them it r- reminds me a little bit of um, the meta story arc that we had in uh, star trek enterprise with our um, trying to sort out that whole temporal war thing that later bled into the zindi storyline and this means nothing to you if you haven't seen any of those but never mind Oh, there's one other character in there I thought also was quite interesting. Uh, uh, Mia Kirshner plays Amanda Grayson, Spock's mum. Uh, And she's an actress who we've seen before in a lot of screamers on television shows, uh, Vampire Diaries, Wolf Lake, Dracula the series, and also the science fiction series Defiance. So, yeah, a few familiar faces in there. Is that beginning to attract them like some kind of gravitational um, singularity? (laughs) It's, it's much like doctor who actually in in the um in the uk if you haven't been on the doctor who series well you know you ain't nothing to know one and in um, america over the years star trek has been the one that's pulled in people similarly for f- 50 years or so all right well we'll give you a um, a track here now by jeff uh, russo which is the main title theme for star trek discovery this is the slightly extended version live long and prosper captain catherine janeway of the federation starship voyager zero g is fun as you were here we had mr russo's extended version of the star trek discovery theme for a little bit there on zero g science fiction fantasy and historical radio And we've just been talking about Star Trek Discovery there. Oh, they're really um, cranking up the character of uh, Ensign Tilly in the series. She's great. She is on the spectrum and also um, this is just um, stereotype sort of uh, labels that I'm using here just as um, placeholders Uh, and... um, and we say um, she's a, a larger figured woman. And that's an interesting development for series TV of science fiction, a science fiction show. Good on them. Forward to the future is what I say with Star Trek. Now, uh, we mentioned um, an actress on Star Trek Discovery, uh, Rebecca Romain, Re- who's done a few superhero roles or supervillain roles depending on where you want to go and um that brings me to a new web series called zero point and this is season zero of the web series zero point which um popped up on youtube on the 26th of january on invasion day and it's uh one of those little shows created by Jonathan Saunders. It's an animated series, and he's basically tried to, to give us a little bit group of Australian superheroes. Um, they've only done four episodes so far, and it's sort of like uh, putting it out there as a pilot, and perhaps um, a television station, or um, a streaming producer, or anything Well decide to pick it up but this is season zero so you can check it out on youtube it's called zero point and it's season zero and it's by jonathan saunders now this isn't um you could actually think about it as being kind of not in the same sort of space philosophical space tropic space as um clever man that wonderful indigenous focused superhero series about which there's a, an exhibition running at um, the acme center at the moment now the animation and it is an animated series is fairly basic but stylized and it reminds me a lot of uh, dragon ball z for example just to throw one out there of uh, a similar sort of thing and the show basically revolves around four superheroes who are what they call post-humans. Now, they were created accidentally when the Maralinga Zero Point Energy Research Facility exploded in 1979 in this universe. And that explosion has created uh, a number of uh, mutations, I suppose, or empowered individuals. They call them post-humans around the world and in Australia in particular. And they've been through all sorts of troubles about here, so they had to end up signing an international post-human non-aggression treaty, kind of like Marvel Comics' um, uh, superhero registration acts. And they all work for the governments, various governments. In this case, our four heroes work for AFCO, the Australian Federal Extra Normal Civil Over- Civil Operations Group, and they fight... Um, Post-human terrorists and other super-powered individuals, essentially, but not normal criminals. They leave that to uh, the police and um, the regular forces. It's led by the group is led by a woman wing commander, Lisa Cartwright, and she has a relationship with their um, their most powerful individual, uh, Zero Point himself, uh, Kyle Burton, uh, whose father was also a superhero killed by. Um, a Soviet rogue post-human. His strength is mass manipulation. He's very, very strong and uh, can fly, like all of them, actually, like most of them, as far as I can tell. Um, But that strength has a 30-minute limit. Uh, There's a character called ACDC, uh, whose power is electricity. His name is Neil. (laughs) I like the fact that he's got a a very ordinary character name. Uh, There's an ESP archer who can... uh, Uh, and seldom misses with her shots Uh, a woman um, character played uh, called amanda jade Um, they have color-coded uniforms so we're into that whole power ranger thing just a little bit and their first villain they run into is um, samson a self-proclaimed nationalist terrorist king of australia wears a bicorn hat and a red coat and the first battle in this takes place in federation square so you know there's the uh the novelty value of having all of this set in australia although australia does seem to be the um locale of choice for whenever you have some kind of international monster movie or whatever and you need to show an australian facet of it it's usually the opera house that cops it but in this case it's um fed, fed square so the novelty value there was quite strong Uh, There are some interesting themes woven throughout the short series, which uh, is only about 20 minutes long. Each of the episodes are in five to six minutes, something like that. Uh, And you are going to find um, out more if this show goes further after its uh, YouTube debut. So check that one out. Zero Point, Season Zero. (laughs) And that's out now on YouTube. All right, now... I was mentioning before that uh, Michel Legrand had passed away, the uh, the French um, composer, and I thought we might um, unpack a little bit of his music today on the show, given the fact that he's done so many movie and television soundtracks over the years. Well, you know, but... Um, To look at his uh, work a little bit, Uh, he was born in uh, 1932 and passed away on the 26th of January. Um, He was also a a, a conductor and jazz pianist and he was um, still working on um, concerts and so on right up until his death. Uh, Look, those film and TV scores, they were most especially for, but by no means restricted to, the French new wave in cinema. And of course, he did the score for Jacques Demi's The Umbrellas of Cherbourg in 1964. And his music elevates a fairly mundane love story, along with the director's flamboyant colour palette. Uh, Yeah. lifts it all up because they set every word to music. That old musical cliché where um, suddenly they break into song, they have to do that in um, Umbrellas because they do that for the whole movie. <laughs> and uh, there's a famous song from this which um, has a dreadfully long <laughs> French title, um, translates easily into, uh, in, into English and is basically... Um, I'll never forget you, or something like that. But anyway, this actual track comes from the soundtrack, and they've listed it as a uh, just as being um, in the garage, <laughs> basically. Because there's two characters, um, they're thinking about how much they love each other. It's in French, so <laughs> how can you go wrong with that? Uh, Jose, Jose, sorry, Bartel and Danielle Licari are actually singing in this one, but um, the actors and actresses are a little bit different in the story. Catherine Deneau plays the main character. Anyway, here we go with this one. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet. Zero, G comes last, Z waits alone, and it's not for a thing. Hmm. then we had uh, some Michel Legrand music there with lyrics as well from... Jacques Demis The Umbrellas of Cherbourg from 1964. The all-singing, but not all-dancing movie with its incredible colour palette, lifting everything up into operatic levels there in spite of the mundane title of that track, which basically translates to uh, In Front of the Garage. (laughs) Now, Michel Legrand's music earned him the first of his Academy Award nominations for that film as well as for um, the soundtrack of The Young Girls of... <laughs> I always pronounce this as um, Rock Fort, but we will file that away somewhere else under uh, Mispronunciations. <laughs> he actually did win his uh, first Oscar for The Windmills of Your Mind in the uh, movie The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, We might play that a little bit uh, later on today's show. As well as um, scoring two Orson Welles films, F is for Fake, and the resurrected, completed F... uh, Sorry, um, The Other Side of the Wind in 2018, which has um, been released on streaming services recently. Posthumously released, of course. Uh, Now, we'll move on to uh, the kid who would be king, which is a very, very neat little contemporary Arthurian procedural film by Joe Cornish, who's made several workmanlike genre subjects already with more on the slate. He is the man who created and uh, directed Attack the Block, if you uh, remember that one, it was um, an alien invasion one set in uh, a British tower block. and Jodie Whittaker was in that one too. Yes, she was. Joe Cornish has gone on to many other things since then. He's been writing for television and radio. Uh, co-written The Adventures of Tintin, Secret of the Unicorn, with Stephen Moffat and Edgar Wright. And also worked on um, The Ant-Man. Script at one stage to the uh, the first of the movies, as well as being possibly being the director of a film adaptation of Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash for Paramount Pictures, but that's um, uh, still in the works at the moment. So yeah, he also uh, had a cameo in <laughs> Star Wars: The uh, The Last Jedi. Um, did he play in that. Uh, I think he was a resistance fighter. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, Joe Cornish is um, the kid who would be king. Now, I've often thought that um, Ar- King Arthur, the Matter of Britain as they call it, has been inconsistently served with film adaptations and original material. But I don't think it's bleak. I don't think that. Um, that they've all been dreadful. There have been some dreadful Arthurian movies, some really bad ones. It seems to be a go-to topic if ever you want to uh, knock out a, a quick um, straight-to-DVD or back-in-the-day direct-to-video movie. But there have also been some pretty good ones. We have talked about some of those ones on um, Zero G in the past. Uh, Eric Romer's um, Parseval, for example, which is a a, a very faithful, medieval, mystery play sort of version of King Arthur, or at least um, one of his knights, Parsifal. Uh, or, you know, John Borman's Excalibur, which, in spite of some flaws, actually really accurately captures the episodic feel of um, Sir Thomas Mallory's La Morte Arthur*, uh, Or even the um, um, Richard Harris, Vanessa Redgrave, Franco Nero vehicle, the um, the musical... The film musical version of um, Camelot—that has a lot to be said about it—does it um, successfully bring to mind the T. H. White uh, "Once and Future King" novel. That is um, novels, actually. There's a couple of them that it's based upon. Um, you know, and there've been others. Uh, some people will agree, disagree, or disagree agree with me about some of the um, the better Arthurian movies but let 's not go there today. One of the things i 've noticed is that the um, young adult and uh, well you know the kidlet areas of this subgenre have been quite successful both in television series and occasionally in movies you know the uh, the Disney version of um, the Sword in the Stone, for example, or uh, the recent uh, Merlin television series, which has sprawled out over its five or so um, seasons. Uh, and this um this one is no exception to that um that happy sort of progression. Uh, it's a pretty basic story um a young boy Alex Elliotus, a British schoolchild, he's um, having a, a rough time at school. He's a bit like Steve Rogers from Captain America. If there's a fight going If someone is being pummeled by bullies and uh, he can intervene, even though he's going to get his little ass kicked, well, he will do it. And like Steve Rogers, he just doesn't know when to quit and keeps coming back for more. Um, He is a character who's estranged from his father. He's living alone with his mother. And uh, just like Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter in a lot of ways, um, doesn't know his own, his, uh, his father but born into an obviously a family that's got a destiny. They actually make a point about that at one stage in this film, so it is very pop-culture aware, of course, uh, in being set in the 21st century. He finds a certain sword in a certain stone and draws it too. And that means that he will be automatically in conflict with Morgana, the original King Arthur's half-sister. In this case... He's assisted by the wizard Merlin, who is also resurrected in this new age. Before you could say Camelot 3000, they're forming a new round table. But they're all kids. So that's the aspect of this that would normally be fairly naff, but it is played here with gravitas and conviction and also of a sense of humour too. Louise Ashbourne Circus plays Alex Elliot. Now that last name is familiar because of course he is the son of actors Andy Circus and Lorraine Ashbourne. And he is the uh, the source of a lot of the gravitas of this film, playing the role with complete engaging conviction. We've seen him before in Alice through the looking glass in 2016 and mowgli legend of the jungle in 2018 we've also got tom taylor playing a character called lance hint hint and he was jake chambers in the dark tower in 2017 uh, rebecca ferguson plays morgana traditional enemy of king arthur as well as angus Imrie in the role of Merlin, also played by Patrick Stewart, too. So he's another Star Trek connection right off the bat. Uh, I also noticed Genevieve O'Reilly in the mix playing Sophie, Alex's aunt, and we've seen her before playing Mon Mothma in the Star Wars franchise. Now, this is as pretty near perfect as an Arthurian movie, even if it is pitched at a those who are younger than my 111 years, uh, it's as near perfect as an Arthurian movie as I've seen. It's got lots of heart, energetic performances from the cast, uh, some knowing asides and several hidden grails for matter of Britain buffs. Uh, I noticed there was a, a Borman Road and a uh, Alex Elliott uh, lives in uh, Mallory Road himself. <laughs> And it's got one of the um, the most memorable screen merlins since Nicole Williamson played the role in uh, Excalibur. Uh, and I don't mean Sir Patrick Stewart necessarily, though he is great too, even his brief appearances, but rather Angus Imri, who would fit right into any Harry Potter film. Uh, he's got the whole eye-rolling uh, mystic gestures. Who does he remind me of? Um, almost like a young Richard E. Grant. And he's got it all going on there and a great... Um, sense of wackiness that um, channels uh, merlin from the once and future king as well as uh, other sources too and sorcerers as well rachel uh, ferguson from life she refrains from going full eva green in this uh, as morgana uh, but still manages to be suitably malevolent um, <laughs> I like that they enlist entitlement as being one of the sorceress's failings and of course this film is also a telling metaphor for Britain's current divided state can you say Brexit you know I, I wouldn't change much at all for, in The Kid Who Would Be King um, apart from maybe one line I thought was a little bit duff about leadership um, but they still get points for making me actually thrill to the power of the old Arthurian legend, and also for making me laugh out loud at a lady at the lake joke that I've used before myself on occasion. (laughs) I won't tell you what it is. Ah, yes, the kid who would be king. Now, it doesn't have uh, what I would call a killer soundtrack on the screen, but I have listened to it since, because it is out um, on iTunes, and it's by the Electric Wave Bureau. And this is the prologue, which opens up the film with a very nice little animated sequence explaining the Arthurian legends and giving you the gist of the story that's going to roll out. And this film definitely does stride out quite quickly. Uh, It's very fast-paced. They don't waste much time mucking around with stuff, but it still is quite charming. I love some of the stuff that they do with um, armour in this and uh, how they learn swordplay quite quickly. (laughs) You know, you buy into it because it's an Arthurian film and there's fantasy there. And there is magic in play, too, so you can kind of get that. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels. So you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show, This Side of the Black Stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha, 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 with three exclamation marks. Yeah, we had the Electric Wave Bureau, great name, with the prologue from the kid who would be king, Joe Cornish's Arthurian procedural film, which is out now. It's a it's a small wee little film that's um, nowhere in the league of the budget of films like King Arthur, the recent one, or uh, the Last Night, Transformers movie. But it is actually leagues better than both of those put together. Okay. Now, uh, we were talking about uh, Michel Legrand's Passing Away and uh, the great French composer. Um, And this is a lot of music that um, featured on a lot of easy listening um, albums from back in the day. And... Uh, they really embedded themselves in the popular culture. Now, one that he did win an Academy Award for was uh, Windmills of Your Mind from the Thomas Crown Affair. Now, it's sung by a guy in the original film and i 'm of a mind to think that it 's um, a song that seems to work better when it 's sung by women, just um, something about the, uh, the 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 lyrics and the tone of the voice and the uh, the melody something indecipherable but I'm not going to go there or even play the original because I was interested to see how far this song had travelled. And after um, going through all of the different cover versions, the one I found, which is probably entirely the wrong choice, but that's zero-G and sometimes that's just the way we like to go, uh, a celebrity song. I love to do these celebrity songs. um, Where uh, Edward Woodward has covered the uh, windmills of your mind. Did I say umbrellas? The could be both couldn't it actually when you think about it and no i'm not going to play the muppet version of this uh because i've already done that before on the show <laughs> oh, many moons ago but we'll go with this one which is by edward woodward from his own um the edward woodward album and i like this because it's basically being sung by mr Callan, the uh the assassin with the heart of gold from the 1960s and 70s television series the british spy series callan so here he is this uh this absolutely um conflicted but ruthless character who could uh do devastating things with his hands or a a handgun either way he was just lethal and here he is singing this song (laughs) I've always liked that. He is, of course, also the uh, was the uh, not longer with us. But he was the uh, the father of um, actor Peter Woodward from the uh, Babylon Five series Crusade, and indeed, actually appeared in some of Straczynski's science fiction stories. <sighs> here we go, and he's played Merlin too. So there's a there's a um, an Arthurian reference. So here we go, Mr. Edward Woodward with the. Umbrella-like windmills of your mind. Hmm. Broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Well, not quite yet. Mr. Edward Woodward there, David Callan. Singing the windmills of your mind in tribute to the late great French composer and performer, concert pianist, and all around wonderful musical guru Michel Legrand, who has passed away at the age of 84. Now I wanted to play a track to go out with today that would kind of give you a little bit of a skewed perspective uh, from the traditional mainstream perspective, which is thankfully, it seems to me, vanishing into the past of Australia Day, of what we call Invasion Day. Uh, and I thought, I've got to play a daily Bowie, a weekly Bowie track. David Bowie's Let's Dance sprang to mind because if you've ever seen the music video of this, it's... Um, an overtly political statement, Uh, or is it? This is when he was here in, I think, 1983. Did a couple of music videos. So check that out, Let's Dance, on iTunes, for example, or um, YouTube or wherever, and you'll find that it is uh, a scathing indictment of apartheid in Australia. Um, a quite uh, amazing piece, and so I thought that would do for today. And now, in conjunction with that, um, the next two hours of Triple R programming are given over to the Balit Naran Festival 2019 Share the Spirit. Uh, it's a special two hour broadcast hosted by Declan Ferber Gillick and it will be airing from 2 to 4 o'clock today. And um, it's a very special broadcast recorded at the Share the Spirit Festival, a day of music showca- showcasing the uh, the diverse talents of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people living in Victoria. So Triple R was down at the Treasury Gardens on the day with host Declan Ferber Gillick, recording chats with an assortment of festival guests. And that will be all up at 2 o'clock until 4 o'clock. So we will farewell you for today and proceed with Mr Bowie. Let's dance. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.